0: i 'm exhausted and there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons i 'm exhausted, and I think probably each of us are exhausted is it is exhausting trying to navigate the world today, and what you're always looking out for the minds on the ground of oh no, am I going to set off a conflict? Am I going to rub this person the wrong way? Am I going to become this into this binary like divide of us versus them um, where both sides thinks that they're the good guys and the others are the bad guys and and we're just brutal to each other and there's this constant struggle to navigate that world where everyone is at each other's throats everyone thinks the worst of each other everyone imagines the worst motivations uh, and just does not love their neighbor and that includes in churches um, and that's been one of the challenges of this season is how do churches not fall into the same traps that we are all drawn into? It's like we're all in orbit and this, there's this star of, of uh, violence, of, of hate, of anger that just keeps wanting to draw us in closer and closer. And it's difficult. And so I don't know if how you're feeling today, but I feel like this has just been overwhelming for a lot of people. And it's been overwhelming maybe at a dinner table with family. Maybe it's been overwhelming in friendships that have become strained or work environments that have fallen apart or, or church environments that have fallen apart. And, and we are not only feeling that lull, but people are being paid to make us feel that. You know, you can get a lot more votes by making people angry, making people afraid. You can get a lot more viewers and ad money by making people angry, making people afraid. And so, there's a lot of forces on us that are wanting us to hate our neighbors. And if we don't watch out, you will find yourself hating your neighbor. And so, we are going to start this series where we are going to look at how do I love my neighbor in a divided world? Because there's the like kumbaya version of love your enemies and love your neighbor where you're like, oh, yeah, we're great at this. I know Jesus taught this a lot. Let's, yeah, of course we believe that. And then there's the real version where you're like, wait, I don't know how easy it is to love that person. And so we are walking in this sermon series today through a question around, wait, I have to love them? Do you really mean that I have to love my enemies? And so to get into this story where we're at in Jeremiah 29, uh, it's this time where Babylon, this giant empire, has rushed through the region and had conquered. Uh, they conquered Judah, and Jerusalem falls, the temple falls, and they take waves of people as slave labor back to help build up their own empire. So people are being taken away from homes, ripped from families, ripped from their religious life. And you could imagine that it would be hard to love in that environment. And so. I don't know what the best way for us to imagine ourselves into that text today, because we are a part of a nation that has a lot of power. But maybe if we just imagine an alt-history for a little bit of a, a time, maybe we could try to somewhat get a frame of mind. What if we had lost World War II, and Tokyo and Berlin had become the centers of the globe? And maybe your city had been bombed, the church you used to love to go to had been bombed. Maybe a shrine, a, a, a big Nazi flag is hanging there where you used to worship. Maybe you're ripped from your families. You're taken and you're taken to another country and you arrive in this place and people aren't just speaking English everywhere. You're going to have to learn a new language. You're going to have to learn new customs. And you're in this weird, different environment. Do you think it'd be hard to love your neighbors there? That's where we get a psalm like we read in our prayer time, Psalm 137. You ask, how do I get a prayer or a song to God that says, Oh, happy will be the people who bash the children of my enemies into the ground. Because right? that's a pretty morbid place. It's like, well, you, could, you know, we got the enemies, but they're kids, right? But you get to the point where you say, when they, when they bash the children into the ground, oh, they're going to rejoice and they're going to be so happy about it, because that revenge feels so sweet. And that's a dark place to be in. And it is not altogether different than some dark places that we are sometimes. Where we think that name of that political person you really dislike and you see it and you just, you built up with that anger that happens. And you just wish their downfall. Not just, you know, that they lose power, but that they themselves might suffer and might get pain. There's a dark place that we are all invited into when these days come. And so I think and I, I feel for these people, because they were ripped from home, they were, in, they were in pain. They were hurting, and they longed for some revenge. They longed for God, make this right, make them suffer, give us the victory. And it's in that context that the, that the prophet Jeremiah writes to the people in exile. I'm going to start in Jeremiah 29. I'll give you the first verse for context. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent among the exiles and the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. I'll pause just a second and say, they were hoping for a different message than what they're going to get. They want the Psalm 137. They want But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of the Lord. If you think about anything you could hear of what you should do, when you're in this place of anger, frustration, hate, you don't want to live near your neighbors. And the first thing God says is, build some houses and live in them. I don't know if you've caught why that doesn't seem like good news to everybody. When you're angry, you want immediate resolution. You've probably seen building projects take a while. Build houses and live in them. You're going to be there for a while. Build the house. Live in it. Plant the garden. Again, you're not on the run planting a garden. You're cultivating where you're at. So if you want the first step of like, what should I do in exile when I'm struggling to love my neighbors? What is it to actually enjoy living and cultivate your life where you're at? Because some of us, we're so displeased with our current situation. We're so angry, so frustrated. We just want to get out. But what is it to say, okay, Build your house. Build your place. Live there. Plant your gardens. Enjoy the fruit there. Take time there. For so many of us, we want the shortcut. We want to just get out of town. We want to run away from the problems. We want to run away from the people that we struggle to love. But what is it for God to say, hey, I've got a reason for you to be there. Build up your house. For some of us, we'd, maybe we'd neglect some of those repair projects on where we're at. Say, well, I don't know how long I'll be there. I'm just going to overlook it. I'm going to uh, not worry about it for right now. What is it to say I want to be in this place where God has put me right now, even if I'm mad about it, I'm going to figure out, at least for today, how to make this place my home, cultivate it, and perhaps enjoy a little bit of the fruit from this. There's got to be something here. There's got to be some produce, some product, some thing, outcome that I can enjoy and say, God, thank you for this thing in the midst of the chaos of my life. So what is it to say, okay, I'm not running from this place, but I'm going to build it up. And next, if you didn't like the timetable, it talks about having kids and then marrying off those kids. Again, God, I want you to act a lot quicker than that. God, right now I need the fix. Right now, get me out of this place. God said, hey, you know what? Why don't you raise some kids and maybe then you'll, you'll help those kids and then they'll have their families and they'll have their kids. God, I really want a faster response. But it is a leap of faith to cultivate the next generation. For some of us, that, that's through childbirth. For some of us, that's through mentorship and, and support of the next generation. But what is it to say, we are not the end of everything. The world is not so gloomy, so bad that I think it's ending tomorrow, but I'm going to cultivate and pour my life into raising up the next generation. And I'm going to uh, make their world perhaps a better place than the world that I've been handed. And for so many people, they're like, well, you know, the world is so bad, life is so awful, Uh, whether that's... The, the planet's current state, whether that's the political state, whatever it is. And you're like, well, do I really want to bring a person into that world? Can you imagine going into exile, living in this other land and saying, maybe this is the end. And the message is, don't just go there and end, but multiply, increase, build out that community. Because when we're in an angry place, when we're in a fearful place, it's easy to make walls that we build people out of our inside circle and say uh, everybody else is an enemy. But what is it to cultivate a big family, a big community, and say "I, I have trust that I can have relationships, I can have community, I don't have to wall everybody else off. And so God tells them, build houses, live in the plant gardens, eat the produce, multiply there, do not decrease. And then I think it gets to the part of this passage that is the most uh, hard for people to accept, to take on as their own. Because most people could say, all right, I can do those first two steps. Sure, I'll make a nice house. If you've got a lot of money, like I'll make a really nice house. I'll make a really nice garden. All right, you know what? I'll have a family. Okay. It's the third part that is challenging. When you're in a community that you don't feel like you're an insider of, that you feel like they're your enemies, it says that God tells the people, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And that's the hard part. Wait, I have to seek the welfare of of this whole place? I don't mind seeking my welfare. But wait, I have to seek the betterment of everybody, including these people I'm struggling to love? How do I seek the welfare of the city? We usually want the welfare of our own tribe, not the greater city. Think about how many people, like, we're in the midst of chaos in which if your party is not in power, you don't really want them to do well. Like, oh, I want my party in power, so uh, let's just hope the country does poorly if the other people are in power. It's like, what an awful place to live in where we're half the time always hating and always wanting the worst for what's going to happen. And What is it to be even an exile living under your enemies, living under them and saying, you know what? We're going to work for the betterment of this place. Not just for us, but for everybody here. It doesn't matter who's in charge. I don't have to like Nebuchadnezzar's policies. I don't have to agree with his theology. I don't have to agree with a lot of things here. But I have to seek the welfare of this city. I should note, welfare is a little bit of a quirky word in this text. If you were to probably go over like the Hobby Lobby or someplace that sells Christian tchotchkes, um, they love a verse that we read from Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Most of those use a translation that will say something like plans to prosper you. That's the word that the NRSV translates, welfare here. In Hebrew, I could probably say the word and you would know it. Just shalom. I want you to seek the peace of the city. And the shalom peace is not just nobody's disagreeing, and nobody's saying their mind, but a wholeness, a harmony. One where people live justly, where they have Peace of spiritual peace. They have physical peace. They have uh, social peace. Where you can live holy like you were created to be. I want this city to be spiritually whole. I want them to be physically whole. I want them to thrive. Not just their bank accounts. Their whole selves to thrive. And it can be hard to want your enemies to thrive. But seek the welfare, the shalom, the peace of the city where I have sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Again, it's hard to do. We like to pray on the, pray to the Lord against its behalf sometimes. Of, God, please let them get what they deserve. God, please just fix this. Please get them out of this place. But pray on their behalf. And I think about, you know, people love... It's just like a small passage in the Bible, yet Sodom and Gomorrah gets talked about so often. It's a story of inhospitality in which God brings judgment on this city who is unwelcoming to, these, uh, to the angel visitors. But in the story, God tells Abraham what's going to happen and, and he doesn't just say, okay, let them be judged. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. But he says, hey, God, you know, if there's 50 good people there, What then? Sure, sure, I'll relent. 45? 40? He works his way all the way down to like 10 people or so. How many people, good people, maybe you don't need to judge them anymore? And I've always thought it's a a strange thing of that text that Abraham doesn't just keep pleading. How about one? But he stops. But what is it to be a people that say, God, even though I might think that you want to bring judgment, even though I think you might want to bring uh, a change God, can you spare some people? Can you allow some people to be healed, to be turned to good, to, be, to thrive? Lord, Lord, let me pray on behalf of these people. That's the whole book of Jonah. A prophet who wants the enemy to be destroyed. Who wants judgment. And who fights and claws the whole way because God, he knows God's going to forgive. And God loves people beyond who they expect. But for us, can we seek the welfare of our cities, knowing that that includes people who agree with us and those who don't? Those who look like us and those who don't. How do we seek the welfare and pray for those around us? And the text gets very practical here and it says, For in its welfare, in its peace, in its shalom, you will find your welfare peace shalom how strange it is that we don't want to create a better environment because we live in that environment if we're unwilling to cultivate peace cultivate a thriving environment we're going to reap the benef- the consequences of the fact that we're going to live in this chaos and so you can continue to hate your neighbor you can continue to be hateful of your enemy You continue to be disgusted, frustrated, angry, upset, but you're just going to be living in frustration, anger, and being upset. And so what's beautiful is that our biblical tradition gives us uh, these different authors, these different psalms and prophets. And so the biblical text says it is okay for you to come out and say, God, I'm so frustrated. I'm so annoyed, so angry. How does this happen? How do we keep letting these things happen to people? How do we keep having people struggling to have food, struggling to find safety, struggling to have clean water, all, all the, the injustices that, that you might find challenging in this world? Yes, voice those out to God. And you might see that there are certain people that are more at blame for why those injustices are happening. You can be frustrated about that. You can reject those things. You can work for different policies or different people. But, you must work for the welfare, the peace of everybody. You must pray for everybody. And so what is it in the midst of our frustrations to spend our prayer lives not praying against people, but praying on behalf of people? That God might bring a new day, might bring healing and peace where there's none. And so, it's only at that stage that we get to the part that everybody loves to quote in this chapter. Yes, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. We all want the future of hope. We want our welfare. But it says there that we are connected, we are drawn into that when we live this out, when we live for the welfare of those around us, when we pray for the welfare of those around us, that God is in the midst of that. God sees it. God responds to His promises. And so, we can't get the, uh, the fun outcome without the hard work of loving and praying and seeking the best for those around us. And so, I encourage you, to be reflective, to be mindful of where are you struggling to find love right now? Where are there places where you're struggling to uh, to seek their, their benefit, their welfare before God? It was not lost on me that when I was planning out the sermon series, how to love your neighbor in a divided world. And I was like, well, you never start on Labor Day. Labor Day, there's so much going on. There's travels, all that stuff. All right, so we start the Sunday after Labor Day. And I'm like, oh, that's September 11th. What an interesting day to say, how do I love my neighbor? And you might recall in your own lives, maybe um, maybe you think more nationally. Um, the weird note is uh, September 11th is now uh, of drinking age, 21 years. When... We went into conflicts after that. There's probably a little part of us that longed for a bit of revenge, that longed for a little bit of joy and happiness to hear when certain people were, were taken out, when we found bin Laden, whoever else you might include on the list. The temptation in our lives is to see our enemies and to rejoice and they're being dashed on the rocks, or their children, as the psalmist says. If you have those feelings, you are not alone. If you have those feelings, you should not be ashamed to bring those feelings to God. That is the healthy outlet for those feelings. Not trying to hide it, ignore it, act like we don't ever feel that way, because then it bursts out in unhealthy ways in our lives. But when you notice you have that resentment, that anger that you can't seem to control, the thing is to bring it to God. Let God take that on and endure that that anger. But at some point, we have to let go of that prayer and say, how do I build my house? How do I plant my garden? How do I keep building up the next generation? Live, increase, multiply. Multiply. And how do I seek the betterment of those around me? Of the whole city? Pray for everybody? And in that process, when you give yourself over to God, you let your anger, your revenge-seeking self, you let that go? You start allowing for God to, to bring about that peace more visibly here and now. Because the people involved in that desire for revenge... Start turning over towards peace. So, my hope for us as we walk through this series is that we might say yes to God. We might say, I'm giving up going on and trying to crucify others. But God is strong enough and powerful enough to survive being crucified up to a cross by people who were angry. But the grave opens up because new life is possible. May we all be people of that new life and not trying to crucify the next person. And so that's my encouragement is if you hear the next person who's trying to make a buck off of you being angry and hateful, say, wait a minute. This is not healthy. This does not lead to my peace or the peace of those around me. And turn over to God. Pray about it. And maybe start building the community that we want to see here and now. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I, uh, we pray confessing that there are times where we've acted out of our anger, where we've acted out of our hate, where we've acted out of our frustrations. And Lord, we are grateful that You forgive us That you don't hold a grudge to our worst days, but that you see us from the vantage point of what we can be, of who you are making us into being. Lord, help us to be gracious to ourselves when we fall short, and help us to be gracious to those around us. Lord, I pray that we might be a community. That people feel is different. Something is different here. Because we have that shalom peace at work here. Not holding it in, but extending it outward to those around us, throughout the city, throughout our workplaces, our homes, our, our friend networks, our social media. Lord, help us to be peacemakers Lord, help us to live that peace out so we might hear You say, blessed are You, peacemakers. Lord, we ask that You might restore not just us, but that You might bring Your healing touch, You might bring Your saving touch to all who are living out of the influence of of hate, of violence, of evil. That you might turn hearts to you. That every knee might bow. Every tongue might confess. Lord, let us live into that hope. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.